0: without aid, a lifetime without definitive expectations. Whether you've got here on purpose or by accident or even being held hostage here, we're welcome and welcome aboard. The only entrance requirements are the honesty, open-mindedness, and willingness to try. If you're welcome nowhere else, you're certainly welcome here. Ah, uh, good day everyone. My name's Jim Elleellermeyeyer. I'm a behavioral health therapist and as promised, we like to show people and tell people how people got from there to here. We love to have stories of recovery as we truly believe that everyone is in recovery from something. And one of the things about 12-step recovery is that one of the misconceptions is, is that it's all about drugs and alcohol, gambling, whatever, but actually it's about having a change in your thoughts and having a change in your actions, that psychic change. And everyone's in recovery from something. And today we are pleased and blessed to have a new friend of ours from, uh, California. Would you care to introduce yourself?
1: Good evening. My name is Tara Vieira, and I'm out in California. and happy
0: to be here. Oh, thank you so much for joining us. And as always, we like to share with everyone out there stories of recovery, because sometimes we look at people and we say, oh, gee, if I had, had everything going on in my life like you do now, it'd be easy for me to stay clean and sober. But uh, most people don't realize that it's a process. It's not an event. Could you tell us a little bit about your background, Tara?
1: I grew up in uh, suburbia, California, in what seemed to be normal at the time. Nothing, nothing I would want to do again. In my childhood, for sure. But mostly, it was just a typical home where a lot of people were. So mom had her addictions, dad had his and grandparents had theirs. So I think I've done the math before. So my father, mother, mother's mother, father's father, all died of the disease in one way or another. Sometimes, you know, it would be, you know, suicide or, or something like that, but they all died of the disease. So I definitely came genetically prepared to gather myself in addiction, uh one way or another. For me, I feel like I'm one of the few that that I know that it really, really, really was just alcohol. Uh, though I had other things in my story that I used on and off for various reasons, but mostly, primarily and only, it was the alcohol that had me and I was drinking even when I didn't want to drink.
0: So how did you start out? What did, uh, tell us about, tell us about your childhood. Tell us about growing up. Tell us about your first experience with alcohol.
1: You know, I don't have that thing that you hear a lot of times. You hear people say, I always felt different then, like I didn't fit in. I didn't, I didn't have that because my very, very best friend was also, is also one of us. So my very best friend in middle school, we had been friends since fifth grade somewhere around 11 or 12 we first drank together and it was a blackout drunk woke up on the toilet that was my very first time drinking i don't remember loving it i didn't wake up and say i want to do that again i thought oh that is terrible there were no signs of alcoholism there was just signs of a kid not realizing what alcohol can do to you however um if you fast forward which i'll get to in a minute that same best friend took me to my first aa meeting you know some 25 years later, or 15 years later. Anyways, so that was the first time I drank. But the first time I drank or the next time I drank after that was maybe I don't know, maybe a year or two. And then it was fun. I thought this is so much fun. I was with the same friend, but some other people as well. And I was just laughing and I was funny. And I, I just thought we actually remember saying we got to do this every day. This is so much fun. Why don't we do it every day? Um, but it didn't, it didn't take off from there, like I hear in so many stories. It wasn't I didn't chase it. I just was really happy when it was around. And I didn't really have many problems with it throughout high school. But every time I did have access to it or a lot of access to it, trouble would happen. So it was like that first blackout drinking was just foreshadowing because that's how it usually went down. It went down with the blackout.
0: Did you ever hear the uh, saying, uh, Tara? That uh, every time I drank, I didn't get into trouble, but every time I was in trouble, I'd been drinking.
1: Yes, that that works. That yes, I haven't heard that in a long time, but I have, and that is so accurate. Um, or every time I drink, I break out in handcuffs. <laughs> that that's not mine. That's not mine. But um, I do appreciate the honesty when people have experienced that. So. So then when I turned 21, it became binge drinking because now I can get it on my own and I had access and I was a binge drinker through my early 20s. By the time I was, mom passed when I was 28, I, I had just told her about three months before she passed that I had a problem drinking. So I was aware that I had a problem. But now mom's dead, and I have a reason to drink. I mean, feel sorry for me. I am now an orphan. Mom and dad have both passed, and um, the drinking continued. I ended up in rehab in 2010, so that was so I was about 30, and that was wonderful because I had been to two meetings before. I had mentioned the person I first drank with took me to an AA meeting. She took me right after mom passed away, but I was not. I wasn't ready. And so in recovery, I was, I got to see that this whole thing, this 12 step group, there were a lot of normal people and they were happy and they, they weren't crazy. And I could be, I could maybe be an alcoholic after all, where I was before in such denial. Um, so I came around the rooms for a long time from 2010 to 2014, and I just kept drinking. I wanted to not want to drink. I just still wanted to drink. It was like having a, a significant other that cheated on you, mm-hmm. and you just keep going back. And you just keep going back. And you're like, why do you keep going back? And, I don't know. I just I I want what I want. Fourteen. I guess it was 2013, 2014. I had I don't know how i I guess I had medical marijuana. I guess I got a I, I did a, a, got a little card, and I had a spiritual experience on what we know as uh, edibles. and that was january twenty fourth two thousand and fourteen when the spiritual experience occurred. It was the twenty like the twenty second and the twenty third the 24th. And for a long time, January 24th, 2014 was my sobriety date because I haven't had a drink since. Ah. Um, however, I continued with, I continued with marijuana on and off uh, for the next couple of years. I kept going to the rooms and I also had some other doctor, real doctor prescribed medication for 80. So if I interrupt you, Tara, uh, what
0: what do you think of, uh, the, uh, we often call it the uh, marijuana maintenance program. Uh, I remember one time a person came up to me and said, Hey, my uh, sponsor told me that it's okay if I smoke marijuana. I said, he said, what do you think I ought to do? And I said, well, I think you ought to get another sponsor. Uh, give us, give us your thoughts on that.
1: Yeah. And I think I, 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 came on, did a little prayer, be open, honest, and willing to answer anything So any answer I give you is coming from my honesty today. How I felt a year ago or how I'll feel in a year from now, I I can't say. But today, I feel like alcohol was killing me. It was absolutely taking everything in my life. And I cannot dispute the fact that it was Mm -hmm. marijuana that gave me my spiritual experience okay it's not the recommended way to do things but it's my it's what happened literally to me i didn't make it up and now they do microdosing and all of this stuff and i think oh i wonder if that's what i was doing without even realizing it so my whole thing about somebody um and the what's sober and what's not sober and i've heard of california sober (laughs) i feel like it's really none of my business it's none of my business i the people in the rooms open the doors for me for those two years that I wasn't doing the deal that they were suggesting, yeah. but I wasn't drinking. And the only requirement is a desire to stop drinking. So technically I could have been doing whatever going into those rooms. Sure. And, and, and then eventually I saw the limitations that marijuana and these other things were putting in my life. And I didn't want those limitations. I wanted I wanted connection, true connection. I wanted true honesty. I wanted clarity in my mind. I wanted to be present in my day. I wanna be able to take a deep breath and see the wind and the trees. And I only wanted to be connected to my higher power. And I thought marijuana and these other things made me feel more connected. And I realized that that wasn't the case. So to answer your question, I started from my experience, obviously, but to answer your question in short, Everybody has their own journey. And if I truly have a higher power and I truly believe everyone else has a higher power that works with them on their journey, it's their journey. It's none of my business. If somebody came to me and wanted me to sponsor them and continue to smoke marijuana, I would still sponsor them. Oh, absolutely. So I would suggest, but I, so I think, I think it's just everyone's journey. I mean, if, if they had said to me in 2014, you can't come to these rooms until you stop doing this and that and the other. Or you have to be completely clean to come here. And maybe I maybe I never would have had the opportunity to want it for myself.
0: My philosophy on that, uh, Tara, is that as long as you're not disruptive, everybody's welcome at the meetings. And what I look uh, at, great. and what I look at, Tara, is when I talk to my patients, I tell them that there's a difference between treatment and maintenance. Okay. So I advocate the law for a lot of my patients. I write letters of advocacy for medical marijuana. And, but I, I would impress upon them this is for treatment. If it becomes maintenance, then we have a problem. If you're going to get high all the time, then we got a problem here. You know, if you eat a Snickers bar in the afternoon to give you a little boost of energy, that's treatment. Okay. But if you, if you find yourself having to eat 10 or 12 of them a day, then that's maintenance. So there's a difference between treatment and maintenance. And I have written across my chest, who am I to judge? OK, so uh, that was a special tattoo it caught my attention. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, in the 12 step world, who are we to judge? OK, who are we Who are we to judge? It's like Pope Francis when asked about gay people, who am I to judge? Who am I to judge anybody that's doing the next right thing? And who am I to say what the next right thing is?
1: Agreed. Agreed. And and even okay. with your maintenance and treatment, are those the two? Yes. I could have a Snickers bar every day. I mean, I I don't have an eating problem, but let's just back up. So say I was going to just smoke or have an edible every night at six o'clock, and then we call that treatment because it's only once a day. But it was all I thought about. So it really wasn't. It was... And it was, and it, and then I made decisions based off of it. Well, I can't do that at seven because I'll have to drive and I can't, do, you know, so then your life starts being like manipulated around this treatment and then it becomes and you know, just a roadblock to serenity.
0: Well, uh, what I'm talking about is people who don't have addictive personalities.
1: Yeah. I don't know about those. I'm not one of them <laughs> <No>.
0: <laughs> because, uh, you know, my patients who have addictive personalities, I urge them to stay away from all mind altering substances. Because they yeah. can't control it. I know that I could not. I can't. I could not. You know, I I will do everything. There's a saying that says, "What's a what's a addict's favorite brand? More. What will you have? I'll yeah. have more. I'll have more, sir." And uh, that's the reason. So well, we're on we're on the same page, Tara. It's a uh, nobody has a right to judge another human being as long as they're, You know, I have this tat- tattoo on my arm here. It says, "Do no harm." Okay. And uh, that's what I always tell people as long as you're doing no intentional harm to anyone or anything, you go ahead and do as you choose.
1: Open mindedness.
0: That's correct. Honesty, wow. open mindedness, and the willingness to try. So you got into the 12 step world and you were welcomed.
1: I was welcomed from the beginning. And then eventually, uh, about two years after my spiritual experience, which I, uh, which I call it a spiritual experience, I wanted what I wanted something else. And so I started seeking a higher power, I started actively seeking. And that seeking has not stopped. So I continue to read and connect and meditate and pray and talk about it every chance I get. And grow the relationship. I often compare my relationship with my higher power, which sometimes it's just, I have these four spirit guides, these two dudes on each side. And they're just like my, they're just like my higher self, but my spirit guides and they know everything. And I trust that they know everything. And sometimes they make me mad. The other night, I really wanted a bowl of cereal. (laughs) Nine o'clock at night. I don't ever eat that late. We had a football game with one of the kids and a flag football game. And I Sat down to have and then one of the kids said, there's no milk. And out of my mouth came, I'm so sick of the universe trying to control me. <laughs> so I was saying before, despite uh, I was saying I compare my relationship with my higher power, like my husband and I, the better marriage I have, the more time and energy and thoughts I give our marriage. And the more connected I want to be, the more time and energy I'll be, I be was cooking all day yesterday because I like to get all my meals ready for the week when I can. And I just am smiling and cutting onions and thinking about where my feet are and being connected to source and thinking about my ancestors and how they used to cut onions and just connected. My thoughts should be primarily on my higher power than talking to myself. When I'm talking to myself, it's just useless chatter that doesn't add value.
0: Could you share with us whatever you feel comfortable with about uh, your spiritual experience? Because that's a vital part of everyone's
1: recovery. Yeah, I was, everyone was asleep. Uh, I have three boys, and at the time, all three of my boys were still in the house. We're down to two now at home. And I was laying in my bed, which is right here, and my husband was asleep, and I, and it, the same exact thing happened two nights in a row but i just saw my everything was perfect the way it was supposed to be the the backyard and its state of mind the bed the house the the kids everything was it was it was i've said before it was like you had two puzzle pieces that were swapped and you couldn't figure out why the puzzle wasn't working. And then you suddenly saw, oh, those two are in the wrong places. And I just easily just moved them. And and then it was, I i didn't feel like I, had all of that worry that I had ruined my life, that I was going to be this way forever, that I had done something wrong. It all just started to go away. And I woke up with a refreshed mind. And then the same thing happened Then, because I would do the edibles at night when everyone was asleep. And so the same thing happened the next night. It was just the same exact experience duplicated where I had a moment of feeling like I was exactly where I was supposed to be and everybody was in the place and everything happened and I was safe. I, I was, you can sum it up by saying I finally felt safe.
0: Some people would call that a moment of clarity.
1: Yeah.
0: So when I often ask people I say tell me about your moment of clarity when things became clear to them. And it I like that. Yes. The moment of clarity. And
1: That's a more accurate explanation I would say. A moment of clarity defines it more closely.
0: Well, the uh, a lot of people have this misconception of mindfulness uh, as sitting in a temple over <laughs> in Thailand on a satin pillow surrounded by 10,000 candles gone all day, uh, when actually it's paying attention on purpose. I'm right here, it's right now. And I'm of the firm belief, and again, everybody has their own thoughts as long as it doesn't interfere with anybody else's happiness, that if we're present and aware, if we're present and aware, dealing with what's right in front of you, eyes wide open, then the creator, the divine, the universe, whatever energy will put people, places, and things, circumstances, and events in your life. And if you're there to witness them, then they'll have some meaning for you. And it sounds like that's what happened to you.
1: I haven't had a drink since. I haven't had a desire to have a drink since, which is even better.
0: Mm -hmm. Well, we talked earlier before the show about the miracle aspect of recovery. And for a person like you, I, and our brothers and sisters in the 12-step world, for you and me and our brothers and sisters to stay sober, that is a miracle. I always tell everybody in recovery that they're my hero, and I sincerely mean that. And you're my hero. We'll be back next week, and until then, please take this free prescription, and we can cash in anywhere, anytime fruits, nuts, and vegetables, and unplug your television and take up fishing. And for a truly mindful experience, we suggest that you fish without bait. Please do a kindness for yourself and do a kindness for another. Forgive yourself and forgive another. Till all are free, none are free. Namaste, my friends. If you're interested in flying the colors of fishing without bait, click the shop icon on our website. We have clothing, mugs, cell phone cases, and so much more. Show the world that you fish without bait.